Hello, and you're listening to Love in the Time of Corona with me, Kate Checker. Uh, as you can see, we have brought the corona back to our name. There was a moment where I dropped it and I was like, we'll just be love in the time of. And then corona very much came back. I was very optimistic that it was over, but it wasn't. I mean, it never really went away, but um, yeah, I think for the summer there, I was having a nice time. I was feeling like it was all going to be fine. Um, and now we're very much back under lockdown here in Berlin. Um, and I think people are really feeling the lockdown round two. It's, I mean, it's just bringing back some, 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 some similar feelings you maybe felt on lockdown round one, except this time, of course, it's like much colder and the days are much shorter. Um, I woke up this morning and thought it was like already 3 p.m. because it was so dark. It was like a big duvet had covered the sky. It feels kind of a bit bleak out there. Uh, we can't go to any restaurants or pubs or cinemas. All that stuff is closed in Germany at the moment. Though you can go shopping. Uh, all the shops are open and you can still go to work. So uh, we're really learning what Germany has prioritized uh, in the second lockdown. Um, yeah, and it's been, I think, a bit of a rough time for a lot of people. I've had certainly days, um, many days in a row, which have been a bit rough. I think we're all trying to, you know, get through it. Um, that's how it goes. That's the lockdown vibes. So yeah, I changed my name back to Love in the Time of Corona. And yeah, let's figure out that. Let's figure that out. I thought this week, actually, we would return to a kind of format we did before where I do a collaboration with my friend and excellent composer, Tim Marion, uh, who will put all of the lovely recordings we have with some lovely music that you'll listen to on today's episode. And I've got three recordings and they're all about nature and I actually thought this would be like a really nice time of year to talk about nature because you know at least before it was like sunny and we can go outside and this time of year we're like a couple of weeks away from the solstice which is obviously like the shortest day in the calendar and it's the really the moment in time where the you know trees are bare not much is kind of like going on sort of nature wise it feels it's just the moment where the world rests, I guess, and hibernates, and that's kind of what we're being asked to do. And I think sometimes without seeing the nature and, like, not being in the nature, one of the things that really helped me last time in lockdown was coming home and being in the countryside. I think in the city we sometimes, in the winter, tend to forget about it a bit, um, like how important the nature can be, even if we can't, like, swim in the lake. Maybe we should still go to the lake. I actually think I might go to the lake and jump in, even though it'll be very, very cold. But I uh, just bought a new snowsuit, uh, which I've been wearing around town. And uh, so that should keep me warm. Um, yeah, so we have three recordings for you today. The first is from my friend Marlene. It's a kind of almost like poetic piece um, about nature. It's really super beautiful. Uh, I really think you're going to enjoy it. The second is from my friend Nick and fellow Berlin comedian and his friends at the Natural Selection podcast. I asked them if they could sit down and talk to me about love and nature together and they kindly obliged. And the third is from Phil Bryant, who is the farmer at Stoford Manor Farm, which is a farm I spent a lot of time with my teenage years growing up on. Uh, I was a cream teas waitress there. I recently was doing coffee on the coffee van there. Uh, last, you know, early last summer when I went back. And I asked basically everyone to just discuss, like, love of nature because I think when the going gets tough, going back to the earth and going back to nature is super important. I hope it will serve as a nice reminder for all of you. I hope you enjoy this month, like this week's episode. And, yeah, as usual, take care of yourselves take care of one another um, and I'm wishing you all the best and I will speak to you again soon.
at the beginning of lockdown I almost fell apart. It's a low point for the story to start from. It will be much sweeter and gentler than its beginning. Feeling myself unravel after a difficult and exhausting year, I decided to go back to Germany when travel restrictions slowly tightened. I was going to stay with my parents for a while, something that hadn't happened in 12 years. It is sometime in April and most of what I've spent the last weeks doing has evolved around staring out of the window, going for long walks, sensing time slowing down. The weather has been exactly the same for four weeks. There's a mini drought in the south of Germany and it is disturbingly sunny every day. All the plants around me are growing so fast, meeting spring. Leaves appear suddenly, uncurl, climb, strangle, reach into small walking paths and across shutdown playgrounds, taking back spaces that have suddenly become quiet. The ground in the forest has deep cracks. The soil feels like dust. While going through the predicted emotional upheaval, I'm drawn to the plants my grandmother planted in my mum's garden 20 years ago, just before she died. They return every year, and the cyclicality of plant life is definitely reassuring right now. My parents aren't quite sure how to help me in my fragile state. My mum starts feeding me one leaf from her Giagulan plant every day, an immortality plant gifted to her by a friend who's really into conspiracy theories. I order some seeds on the internet, with the intention that it is time to cultivate, watch and listen, look after myself, be observant. But the planting experiment starts in immense frustration as the UPS driver drives past my mum's house without stopping for a week. Even though the seeds are supposedly out for delivery those days. He's clearly working under pressures and forms of surveillance that do not care about my urge to reroute. In the early phases of the pandemically induced slowing down, I enjoy watching the neighbours twin cats in my dad's garden as they shit under rose bushes and quickly bury the evidence. They are white with perfect blue eyes and live behind an electric fence. Sometimes they try to climb the small tree next to the extensive water landscape of artificial ponds and waterfalls. They fall off very quickly and generally struggle with normal cat-like things. I feel similarly sheltered as the cats, having escaped London to alternate between my mum's and dad's places, returning to a teenage pattern. I have ended up here, insanely grateful on a personal level for things being cancelled and postponed, that life is on hold and that I have the privilege to rest. But this is a love story. Starting a flirtatious conversation with a stranger from the internet during lockdown, unsure of how long my self-imposed retreat in Germany will last is not the most romantic premise, but we managed. To turn the distance into something caring and gentle, a Victorian dating experiment, a video message from a bluebell patch, a playlist for black and yellow salamanders, images of a wet mossy forest, sound recordings of rain when it eventually came after all the drought. Instead of news, there were lots of images of forests and blossoms at the beginning, of sharing memories of escapes into nature in a lockdown world. For his birthday, I sent a short letter with a selection of the seeds I was growing. Cornflower, Emilia, Ragged Lady, Poppy, Rosemary, Lavender. They're all great for pollinators. Lying under one of the bushes in my mum's garden, I realised that there is an insane amount of bees here. I haven't seen this many bees in years. They look healthy and busy, and the bee apocalypse is far away. Not just bees, also bumblebees, and other huge insects I can't identify. Waiting for my seed letter to arrive, I look for rare black and yellow salamanders, as I ghost walk the old path I used to take with my dog. 
I have developed an obsession with looking for plants whose blossom formation resembles the shape of the coronavirus structure. Ivy blossoms are a good example for this, and a little seductive in their toxicity. After planting the seeds, he gave them sound baths. I was so attracted by the level of care, fascinated with our shared investment in this project. Waiting for the seeds to grow, we share stories about turning humans into plants, what it would be like to be a photosynthetic being, energy efficient, ingesting chloroplasts. I don't really like direct sunlight, wouldn't thrive as a plant. So he told me about ghost pipes, white and greyish plants he had seen on a hike in Washington that don't photosynthesize but live in symbiosis with mycorrhizal fungal networks and the root structures of other plants. They're also incredibly beautiful. He went to one of the protests in London on a day with heavy rain and heavy winds, a small storm. Some of the seedlings were damaged and probably not all of them will make it. Some are given little sticks as support. They've grown too much too quickly. We discuss if it's good to support them at all. They are now called the lightning children, those that have made it through the rain and wind. When I observed the garden from my temporary work zone in my dad's house, apart from the mysterious white twin cats, there is a brown squirrel family that constantly rushes through the trees, busy transporting materials from one place to the next. I learned that they actually don't remember where they've hidden any food and only rediscover it by chance. They accidentally plant a walnut tree while I'm here. The baby tree is transplanted into a small pot to keep its growth under control. We're not sure if the lightning children are getting enough light, but they're fine, they're fine. That's the lesson different kinds of struggling plants have taught me many times, that they're so much more resilient than I think, that care can easily crush them. While I feel stronger and calmer, and eventually ready to return to the UK, the lightning children are slowly being attacked by mildew. We've tried to problem solve together, maybe a fermented nettle tea to keep the fungus at bay. But this has also been another lesson about sentimentality and learning from plants. They go through some of the struggles that most seedlings face. I try to remind us that plants disperse way more seeds than there will be plants in the end, that they don't care about the success of an individual being. The tea has to ferment for a couple of days. At the same time I slowly prepare for returning back to the UK and meeting someone who's not a stranger anymore. It has been three months. So much has changed. The outside is still quiet and tense but luscious. There's a promise of summer and new beginnings. Hey, loving the time of Corona. Um, we're the Natural Selection. Uh, my name's Nick. There's also other Nick. Hello. And uh, Naomi. Hello. Uh, we bully Naomi because her name is not Nick. Um, yeah, it's mean. Um, yeah, so love and nature. Those are interesting things. We sort of generally spend our time talking about nature and the sort of minutiae and the facts about it, but we don't really ever talk about our emotions behind it very often, um, other than how depressing it is that it's all disappearing. Um, do you guys remember the first time you realised you sort of were in love with nature? Um, I think for me, um, I the probably the first time was when I was in a bookstore in my hometown um, and there was like a, a pile of books on the table and one of them was David Attenborough's Life of Birds 
Um, and I spent about 10 minutes in the bookstore, um, like perusing through all the pictures um, of all these like amazing birds from around the world um, and all the different like places. Um, and I think that was probably one of the first times I realized how um, interested I am in like the study of like the diversity and wonderful life we have on Earth. Yeah, that's interesting because my understanding, Nick, is you were more embedded in nature in your childhood oh. rather than bookshops. That's true. I, my my the one that I was thinking of is a little bit uh, different setting, but like I think a similar feeling of like not so much about the study that came much later, but the like experience of being in nature. The first time I remember feeling that and thinking like something, feeling really powerfully moved by that. I can't remember how old I was, but I was definitely like in the single digits, eight or nine maybe. And I remember looking up at the stars at night and where I grew up is very rural. So you can see the Milky Way. And I remember like imagining all of the different stars in all the different galaxies out there in the universe and just like feeling like overwhelmed by how like amazing the world is and how expensive and infinite everything is. I think wow. there's always two reactions with that, isn't there? Because some people often get um, that feeling of smallness and helplessness and insignificance can often be terrifying to a lot of people. But I, I often find that there's comforting is not quite the right word, but almost it's sort of it's relaxing mm -hmm. to think of the enormousness rather than terrifying. Well, I think a part of the, the power of it is that both of those things come together in some sense. Like you can't really have the like feeling of like the sublime is like a little bit of awe, a little bit of overwhelm, terror, and a little bit of like love. Mm. I have to say my experience is, I don't remember the exact moment, but I generally, I don't know if there's any relation to this, but it's like a, I suppose growing up, I always felt like a little bit of an outsider. And so trying to understand the world I was in was always kind of crucial. And nature was a big part of that. So if you could understand the wider world, it might help me find my place in it. Mm. So I think well, I'm always a bit sense. driven to, to understand as much as possible of my environment. And yeah, nature was a big part of that. And I did grow up like near woods and fields. So you'd like walk around and see things and be like, why is that there? Why does this do that? And uh, bookshops were good too. <laughs> I even met David Attenborough in one. Oh, wow. Yeah. A chance. Uh, no, I queued up to see him. He told me to be a zoologist. And here you are. Yeah, now I run a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I suppose the uh, love of nature is sort of a complicated relationship. Um, even before now, it's sort of a... It's almost a toxic relationship in a sense. We're part of the side that's destroying it. And we have to watch it be destroyed as we study it yeah it's um i mean biology is particularly of the sciences i think particularly fraught with that relationship like chemists and physicists although they also have this deep connection i think with the way the world works they don't have to watch it literally every day die more like physics like the universe isn't coming apart you know in the same well <laughs> actually that's not true <laughs> entropy um, is happening, but in you know, in the sense of like the thing that you're studying actually like disappearing from the earth forever is like, I think, unique to our, to biology. Yeah, and I think as well, there's the idea that biology is is about life, but it's also about death. So there's that in, intrinsic sort of, I guess, in to um anthropomorphize it there's that kind of sad aspect as well that if you're thinking about it you know it, it does involve predator prey relationships parasitism um so there's this kind of beauty to it but also something that can be a little bit threatening sometimes as well i guess what you were saying before like looking at the night sky that sort of um sublime kind of overpowering feeling sometimes when you think about it on a whole mm -hmm. i suppose i do in a way give more weight in my mind to species which I know will disappear mm. in that they occupy more of my mind um, because they are sort of clinging on they are on the last vestiges and I invest more of my emotions in them things like pandas 
um, I have very, very rarely think of, you know, really common species like ladybirds. But uh, if you hear of an endangered beetle, like a stag beetle, all of a sudden you sort of think of it more. Hmm. I think when people, like on the very basic level, when people, when they talk about love of nature, one of the questions that gets asked to formulate that understanding is like, what's your favorite animal? Mm. Um, and mm. I think that there's like, that is such a fun question to think about because there's so much, there's so many animals. But often the ones that come out of me and, you know, the people that I know are these like charismatic species, the pandas and the whales and the sea turtles. Um, but I wonder how, if you could phrase the question, like, what's your favorite normal animal? Um, and like, what can you find to like really love about like a brown rat or like, a, you know, like a pigeon? What did you guys used to answer when people said, what was your favorite animal? I think my answer has been and and still is whale, even though there's like so many kinds of whales. I know that now, <laughs> but like whale, the idea of like a giant blubbery mammal that's like gone back to the ocean and just floats around eating tiny things. So how, so how cool is that? And then they sing, God, nothing better, whale. A good choice. I think mine is turtle. Again, mm -hmm. I know there's lots of different species of turtles, but um, <laughs> yeah, they just have such a, a chill kind of, um, I don't know, personality in my mind that they just seem so. Yeah. I remember a teacher asking me, and I said sea urchin, but I don't remember why. Mm -hmm. But I That's... feel like the more mm -hmm. of a pressure, it would be underwater things, I think, were my first love. I was in shit you said whale, Nick, because you're from a very, you're from a desert, the opposite of where a whale would live. That's true. <laughs> Do you think that was part of its appeal? That like nature, often nature documentaries are like a window into a wider world that may not exist really, but um, yeah. Do you yeah. think that played a part? I think so. And I think this goes, this continues our conversation a bit about like what's normal and what is accepted, what seems exceptional to us. Um, I think growing up, like there were, there were many, I was, I had daily encounters with many different types of animals. And from a European perspective, many of them are like totally exotic and crazy cool. Um, from the horrifying like scorpions and rattlesnakes to the like coatamundis, which are these like sort of like little tree climbing things with super long tails that look like zebras, um, just the tails. The rest of them are like sandy brown. Um, so things like that we, I'd see regularly and they didn't seem like, they just seemed like the thing that you had to like, be careful not to scare if you went out to go to the, like take the trash out at night because otherwise you poop your pants. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like whales to me were like, that was like what you said, Nick, the feeling of like out in the distance, like other world, the, the like um, incredible, unbelievable do you find now that you're away though that you miss the things that were commonplace or very like uh typical for your home i miss the the group of them all together the like the like, community ecology like of all the things and how they work together i understand that because i grew up in it and here i don't quite understand or can't really see in the city the many different ways that animals sort of connect with the world around them Naomi, you grew up in Galway, which is, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I suppose in England at least, there's this view of the west coast of Ireland being quite a haven for wildlife and nature. And like growing up, did you, were you aware of this or was it a bit like Nick who's like, oh, it's home? Yeah, I think it was a little bit the, the latter that I sort of didn't realise what was there um, until I left it. But um. I suppose for me as well, I grew up in the city, so a lot of the nature we did have would be stuff that you get in, in cities um, in Europe in general. Um, but yeah, I think a little bit further afield, there, there's definitely um, some really beautiful nature. Um, again, I really didn't appreciate it until I left, um, realizing how like rare it was when, when it's just there all the time. You know, you never really um, take the time to go and appreciate it, I think, until you can't <laughs> yeah i suppose that brings us on to corona because here we are three people who love nature 
uh, spend most of our sort of serious thinking time thinking about it. Um, and we're all locked up in different cities um, away from what we would normally study. And also because of the, the research that's dried up, there's not a lot of news to read. Um, it's sort of quite sparse or the universities are closing. Um, how do you think Corona has affected your relationship with nature? Um, I think for me, it's made me appreciate it more. Um, again, things that like I, I took for granted, kind of getting to go outside, enjoying plants and trees. Um, something that I suppose I would have just taken as like scenery. But when I'm not surrounded by it, you know, it, it makes me realize how much I miss being outside and um, enjoying even the small amount of nature that I get in the city. When I, I think that it's been really, really like, I mean, I guess it could have happened any time of year, but it's been really fortuitous for me that this is not for me. Okay, let me start that over. I think it's been really special that this has happened during springtime as opposed to any other time of year, because it's a time of like such, it's like the most dramatic time of change in the natural world. Um, and I think the days that I spend inside in lockdown feel all the same every day feels the same but the days that I take a walk and I like you know after you take so many walks you end up going on the same routes over and over again eventually and every day is totally different every day is totally different not only in the things that you see and the things that you notice but also in like the stage of life that things are that should stay the same in your mind like the way that the trees have changed, the way that the plants have changed, birds have grown, families of birds. Um, I think I had another question. Can you guys what about a you? question? Yeah. Um, what was my question? Oh, how does it relate in my relationship with nature? Um, I suppose, weirdly, in a way, I've been actively seeking it out a lot more than I previously had. I would sort of incidentally walk through places that I knew were interesting or I'd have cool stuff you know I'd, I'd walk in the woods and keep my eyes out for insects or listen for birds or if I'm lucky deer or rabbits things like that whereas now I feel like it's you know like seal team six like sneaking up on swans in the harbor because they're like getting my bird fix or, <laughs> Yeah, like find myself just staring at trees, like hoping to see something out the window. Whereas before I could sort of get much more lost. Now it's, I, I have to go looking for that relationship. So it's, it sort of feels different and much more like an active process. Um, I, I don't know how to frame this into a question, but... Um... I guess I want to share with you guys like a very small little anecdote of my my relationship with nature that I've had the last few days that has like feels like a little bit of like oh love um every night that I'm sitting at home my window looks out over a really busy intersection and it's like not great there's some trees but I can't really see anything wild but every evening just when the sun is setting I see one or two herons like the gray herons fly from west to east and it's like every night the same i don't know where they're going i don't know if it's the same ones each day but no like every day i see it. it's really sweet cool i like that actually something i learned about herons is that they nest in trees which was shocking like high up in trees well <laughs> for being like large birds that stay by the water all day i would have thought they would have had like a bank nest but no Entries. <laughs> um, to me, that seems like a good place to end. So yeah, we've uh, we've been Nick, Nick, and Naomi from the Natural Selection, and uh, thanks for listening on our musings of love and nature. Bye all. Thanks. Bye guys. Bye.
cool. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, originally, I was going to ask you about farming, and then you said it was love of land. It was you that said the, that phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Is do you have like an elaboration on the fact that it's it's? Well, my interest in the land isn't just in the farming side of it. Right. So. Um, the love of land is a lot more than yeah, just farming it. Yeah. So farming is one thing we do with the land. Yeah. Um, you know, we also try and look after the wildlife, and yeah. and we try and and well, I think I, and I have a big sense of history of what's happened to the land before mm. before I got it. Ooh, what has happened to it before you got it? Well, the, there's been occupation of the land by farmers probably since. Stone Age times, yeah, um, and people have been working the land forever, and it's I'm a, I'm just that continuity of those people. You have a sense that you're carrying on a lineage. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And did you always want to work on the land? Um, no, uh, not particularly. I'm obviously I've always I've always been brought up here. Yeah. Um. But I think, you know, when I was young, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so being at university, yeah. um, I read environmental science. I thought about doing ag agriculture and then decided that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. So I did environmental science, which is more about, if you like, the land yeah. in other aspects apart from agriculture. And while I was at university then, I decided that I would be a bit stupid not to come back and run the farm, you know, I've got a job here, yeah. I've got a lifestyle, I've got a home, all those things handed to me and I would have yeah. been a bit of an idiot not to have taken it. Yeah. So that was what I decided to do. And you liked doing it? Yes, I certainly never regretted um, that, decision. that decision. No. There wasn't something else you felt like you No, I think for a little while when I was young I thought, oh, maybe I would like to have travelled a bit but then... You know, when you get older, you realise that there's not a lot of point in travelling. You can, you don't have to travel very far to find what's interesting. Hmm. You can find things that are interesting. Exactly. You know, close by. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an example of something that you find interesting? Um, well, I, yes, it's funny because it's a funny thing what I'm I'm just doing at the moment. In the last few years, I've discovered that the road outside our door um, was the main road from London to Wells uh, in medieval times. Okay. Obviously London, a very important city, Wells, important city. There was, yeah. That was the main road. And so the road has sort of come and gone over the year, but I thought it must have been a bit of a pilgrim route yeah. as well, Wells Cathedral being very important. Anyway, yeah. so I, the last few Sundays, I've been walking a few miles of it each each Sunday, and uh, so it should be the last little stretch today where I'm walking from Embra into Wells, about yeah. five miles, and I've really enjoyed it, and yeah. you know, you're walking along this route that thousands of people have walked over hundreds of years, mm. and you have a lovely sense of the history, you, you can read what the road is like, uh, what the hedges are like, uh, what the you know, the landscape is like, mm. and, you know, that's not very far away. Yeah, that's interesting as well to sort of think you can get a sense of the history of the people that came before you Yeah. from something that's very close by. Yes. And something you can't always see, you know, you, you just see that now as a really busy not very nice road, <laughs> you know, and, and slightly dangerous, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it has a lot more to it than that. It, it's yeah. just what it is at the moment is that nasty, slightly dangerous road. Whereas mm. There is a lot more there if you just understand a little bit more and look a bit deeper. How would you go about looking a bit deeper? Well, a lot of it, like, if you... if To take the example of the road, yeah. so you just walk the road and... Uh, you just see things that um, you, you recognise so that, you know, years and years ago they didn't have tarmac on roads. So mm -hmm. roads were just mud and got deeper and deeper 
as the traffic went on them, the dust, mud carts, the, sorry, the you know, horse carts yeah. and things would just dig down into the mud and then they'd clear the mud and then they would get deeper. So if you've got a really old road, you're down below the level of the ground on either side of you. And so when, you, so when you're walking along, you're in a trench, yeah. basically. And then in places, you see, the road then comes out of that trench and you realise, oh, they must have changed the road. And then you, you can look on a map and you can see where the old road used to go and then yeah. the newer road that they built to replace it. That? Just little things that uh, give you clues yeah. about its history. That never occurred to me that a road would be sort of set into... Mm. I guess you'd think that someone at some point built it, but of course, bef- prior to that, it would have still been a road, and so people would have been walking yes. along it. Yes, and yeah. A, and Yeah, and, and way, way back, obviously, the, you know, there weren't roads, and they, they just were where people walked. Yeah. And where people walked then became roads, and mm. became tracks, and became directions. Mm. Um, to go back to sort of the land thing, do you think part of the loving of land is to do with with knowing a history of it? Or do you think you wouldn't need to necessarily know the history of it? Uh, I think you do, yeah. I think to understand the land and your place in it, then I think the history is really important. Mm. Because, you know, when you're at school and they segment history and geography mm. and they really should much more come together, I think, to understand mm. a place. Yeah, that's funny. I just with um, Ella's interview, I was talking about the separation of subjects. Mm. And actually these things all bleed into each other. They do. Um, it, yeah, you could understand it and um, I know a story of like one of the fields has got stones yes in, yes in uh, near Westbury is it a field near Westbury one of our fields yeah near Westwood near Westwood hmm. um because it used to be a village there yes that's right and it's got stones in it yeah and then it- you know, I'm, gosh, I know I've lived here all my life. I'm still learning yeah. bits that I didn't quite understand. So the field next to that field where the medieval village was mm. um, is called Chase Lees. Yeah. C-H-A-S-E. And um, I never knew what it was. I kind of thought it might have been something to do with, uh, you know, a chase mm. uh, being a place where kings or dukes, you know, chased yeah. okay. things. That the park, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a medieval park, but it wasn't that. Um, and Ches is an old Anglo-Saxon word meaning stony. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Do you know Chesil Beach? And I've heard the name. Yeah, it's a, it's a very stony bar of shingle down in near Weymouth. Yeah. And that's the same name there. So the field then has its name because of the stones in it. So you get so, lovely sense of yeah. con- again, continuity of somebody named that field in, God knows, Saxon times maybe, yeah. because it was stony and the name was carried on down to me. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. And also to feel that, like, okay, so people were living here. Yeah, yeah. And mm. then... Mm. And then sometimes going. So, like, the, the, the medieval village that we have on the top of the hill... Um, was a village important enough to have a church in right. thirteen hundred, and now it's just some humps and bumps on the ground. Yeah, know? and you realise things come and things go. Yeah, villages come and go. Some become important, some disappear. I feel like that's quite a nice perspective to have. Yeah, yeah. Well, you do realise that nothing, nothing lasts forever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel, do you get, do you, when you're everyday working on the land or like doing farming, do you feel that, I guess you don't feel it all the time, that kind of importance, but do you get like glimpses of that? Well, quite often you're just, you know, you have to completely focus on what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, if you're out cultivating a field, you know, say ready to planting something, you just focus very much on what you're doing and 
So you don't, yeah, you haven't always got that sense of people have been doing this for mm. 500 years. Um, so the land has other qualities that, that, um, that you can appreciate mm. on a day-to-day level mm. um, to do with other things. Like, you know, you might find a bit of soil that's particularly got a lot of clay in it and yeah. has its own character and and somewhere else on the field um there's not much clay and more silt and then so so it's different so you can you respond sort of day by day to um geological history and that's mm. thousands of years yeah then we're going kind of very deep into something do you feel like, I feel like it would be quite good work for, it's almost meditative, meditative, um, working on the land. Do you feel like you kind of zone out? Um, yeah, yeah, sometimes. I, I don't like, I, guess I don't like listening to the radio when I'm working. No. I find that a really unnecessary distraction. <laughs> And, and yeah, I've noticed, you know, that when younger people now, if we have somebody in coming to do the work on the farm, we don't do everything. We have contractors do quite a lot of work. So they come and, you know, have big tractors. And they, they, the, the young people always listen to the radio, yeah. you know, or, or music. And so they don't, they're not constantly thinking about what they're doing and thinking about where they are. Mm. But then in a way, that's not too surprising, I suppose, because it's not their patch. Whereas, you know, this this farm is ours, our families, and, yeah. you know, we've been here for 100 years, and we, so we are obviously a little more attached to this bit than another bit. Yeah. You think having that familial connection is also... I guess it's the same as having understanding the history. But. Yes, I mean, I, the thing I don't quite get, I suppose, is, and I couldn't ever really say, is, is what I would feel like if I didn't own a bit of right. land. You know, whether, I, whether it's possible to get, you know, that deep affiliation and connection when you're um, passing through or, you're, you know, you're... Um, you know, when it's not yours. Mm. I, I think a lot of people do more connect with nature. They can, you know, because that obviously is, is there for everybody and not created by anybody. Um, but I, th- yeah, I mean, you would have to say really, you know, what your response is to the land mm. when it, when you just, you walk on it or you, um, you don't work it. You you you, you have it in, as a, an enjoyment, really, don't yeah. you? Can you feel connected to it if if it's if it's um, just there as something to enjoy? I guess I don't know the difference. I only know it from the sense of yeah. a visitor. Yeah, and I think that's, that's yeah that's true of everybody. We can, we can really only sort of understand from our own perspective, can't we? Yeah. I find it really hard to imagine, you know, uh, if, if I hadn't been a farmer, yeah. how I would have reacted to it. Yeah. You know. Um, and do you like that your children also want to do... Like they, they've all come back now, I basically. Know, I know. Everyone's back. I was like, oh. <laughs> so I've got, I, and I'm back doing cream teas. And I'm like, I'm exactly, <laughs> turns out 15 years on, I'm exactly the same person as I was 15 years ago. Yeah. Well, it's that horrible feeling you don't change very much in your life, isn't there? You know, grow a little bit older. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, that, yeah, that is important. Yeah, it is important, but not the most important thing because. You know, everybody is their own person, and, mm. and if if they hadn't wanted to, it wouldn't matter. You know, it doesn't. It wouldn't matter if my family wasn't here in the in the next twenty years. You know, because hopefully somebody else would be, and it'd be part of that 
was still part of that continuity. Like okay. our family, it's only you know, all right, hundred years sounds quite a long time, mm. but not in the not in historical time sure. and not in geological time, and mm. so all those other time frames. No, it's nice, um, you know, if I approach my old age to have my kids around, that's great. But you don't feel it in a sense of, like, passing something down that feels, like, significant? Um, no, not really. I think, I think it's, it's the feeling that there's, there is, like, so much to do and it would be good for somebody else Mm. Of, of similar tastes and values to be doing it yeah. and I think that that's the kind of reassurance you get I mean uh, you know I don't always like what I see other farmers and landowners doing and you know that without that sometimes I don't feel they have that great sense of where they are and what mm. they're doing with the land and the history um, and so you know I feel it's a Maybe, rightly or wrongly, I don't know, but, but my kids will have those, the values, yeah. my kind of values, and be able to carry them on for another 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also kind of interested in if there's like some kind of behind-the-scenes farmer gossip now that's like, we see other farmers doing things, <laughs> and you're like, that's bad farming. Um, what values, yeah, what values which do you feel like um, are important to you about farming well, I, I guess it is um, to respect the fact that you aren't only there to be making money out of your land and you're mm. also there to be a custodian of nature and wildlife. Mm. And a lot of farmers are like that. You know, mm. I, I don't say that I look at every farmer. <laughs> no, I mean, that most, most farmers now are aware of their sense of place in, in yeah. and their, what the nation values and the, the nation values nature and wildlife, mm. and farmers now get a payment for those things, and I think that is that's right. Yeah. And I think. I, I think we should get that, but but there are some farmers who don't really value that, and um, yeah. you know are determinedly, definitely just producing food, and then hoping somebody will come to their door, and buy it. Yeah. And so they haven't, they're not very connected to uh, the urban populations who are, in fact, consuming all their food. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's come to a bit of a point, hasn't it, during this um, coronavirus, mm. that some of the sort of more remote rural areas have rather resented um, urban people coming to their area and exercising, mm. you know, when there was really a minimal risk mm. to anybody and you know they were getting the pitchforks out and <laughs> you know, not letting people in and I think yeah that was not really understanding that relationship between the the, the consumer and the yeah. producer I think especially in this moment people really realise the value of the countryside in a way that people yeah. haven't for a long time mm. because once you shut down all the things the museums the bars <laughs> yeah. the, the cities yeah. become just like horrible places because the the value of cities lies in all these things you can do no you're absolutely right yes i know that and that mm. that has brought a lot of people out into the country and mm. you know those images of swimming places that mm. we've seen over the last month or so, yeah. have been quite staggering, haven't they? How yeah. many people want to connect? And, it, and it's... You, you have to look a little beyond the mess that they're leaving. Yeah. Because there is, you know, and, and sometimes you can't see beyond that. You just see those thousands of people in a horrible mess that they've left. Mm. But you have got to, yeah, see a little bit beyond to, and to, to do exactly what you're saying, to see that they are... This is what they have, is that they have the beaches and they have yeah. the countryside and they, they have a right to use it as well, yeah. I think. But maybe they're not very um, educated in how to use it. Because they haven't been in it. 
because they probably because they haven't been in it much. Because in a city there is always a bin available. There's always so a bin, and there's always somebody to clear and up. And there's people that clean the streets mm. in the city, so you're not used to. Mm. I certainly know for me, like I was uh, after two months in Berlin, I was like very desperate to be back in the countryside, which is something I didn't know I still mm. had inside me. That was mm. like I really enjoy being mm. in this space. Yes, I've got to, I think, go forward and try and find a useful way of everybody getting something out of it, haven't we? Yeah. You know, out of the countryside and the land. Yeah. You know, we... And obviously it's kind of what we do here, because yeah. we have hundreds of people come here all, every year yeah. and get something out of it. It's nice that you like, to, you like sharing it. Yeah, I think it's it's really important, really important to do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's quite a unique principle. I think a lot of people wouldn't feel that. Oh, I know. I mean, a lot of people don't feel that. But mm. but I think the the people who the farmers now who are understanding their place do do get that. You know, that that public access and public mm. communication is is so important. Mm. You think, I guess I'm just wondering where that stems from. Do you think that's just part of your personal feelings on it? Or do you think it's it's a higher or like a more, like a historical understanding that this is your job as someone who does um, this role? Ooh, I don't know. Um, you don't have to know. <laughs> No, I don't think I know that. I, I mean, I've studied some of these things when I was at university. That you know, it's a kind of we did a course called um, Man and Environment Theory and Philosophy, Ooh. which I I really enjoyed, but didn't do very well at because it, it was I'd previously been a scientist, yeah, and so I you know I understood scientific things, and 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 then this was a whole course that was um, much vaguer and. Uh, not very many concrete things in it, and I so I did find it harder to understand. Um, and I guess that, but but a lot of those philosophies, I suppose, in a way, underpin what I do. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't take it away even from the, uh, you know, the Christian perspective. Yeah. You know that. You know the whole debate about whether we are custodians yeah. of the land, and you know we have a like of this God-given right to look after it. You know, uh, or, or is that right to look after it just sort of granted by the people around us? Yeah. So it's complicated. Too complicated for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. So much. <laughs> Just get out in the fields. Yes. Things. What about when the weather's really bad? Um, Do you still like going out then in the tractor? Oh, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah no, because the weather is another aspect of that you have to connect to. Yeah, especially in England. Especially <laughs> in England. And, and it would be no... You know, I, I have thought, you know, if you're living somewhere like southern Spain you know where there's um, where it's terribly burnt up and the, they have yeah. rarely have rain I would absolutely hate that no. oh so you like the rain <laughs> yeah I well I love what the rain produces yeah rather than loving the rain so rather than loving horrible weather I, I love the, what it has produced where it produces the, the trees and and the grass and, yeah and everything so yeah you can't you can never say it's lovely but we're well protected from it, aren't we, these days, you know, in our <laughs> yeah. houses and we have houses. with central heating and, you know, yeah. we don't have to be, really connect with it. Yeah. I don't, certainly not the sort of person who'd want to, um, you know, give up my luxuries and yeah. live that close to nature in a <laughs> You're not little croft in yeah. Scotland or anything. Because <laughs> no. I have values... I, I kind of understand all those urban values and those things you were saying about the cities. Mm. You know, I love that. I love all the, that city stuff. 
Yeah. You know, and the fact that you can get a decent cappuccino. I was about to say, it's nice sitting in a cafe <laughs> having like a coffee, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yes, that's... Urban Valley is a very important thing. But now you have a coffee van on the floor. We do, exactly. So you don't need to yeah. go to Bristol for your coffee. But I liked it. One of, my, one of my old university friends we were talking, and he described me as a metro farmer. Oh, Okay. Which was a term he coined. Yeah. You know, so it's the first time I've heard it. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so sort of a metro farmer has got a metropolitan values. Let's see. Interesting. Mm. As opposed to what, a, a rural farmer? Yeah. yeah, you'd think all farmers would be rural, but yeah. But no, they're not really. More and more, I think, have um, more metropolitan values. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Is that also like that's I guess because you have the school now, the farm school? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would kind of fit into those kind of values of like wanting to educate. Yes. Yes, I mean, that, I mean, obviously that is Anna's, my daughter's yeah. game, not mine, but uh, I, I, mean, I probably wouldn't have done that, but. Yeah. But the, I understand what she's doing. She very much has that feeling that she wants to spread the education about farming and the yeah. land. That's also interesting as well, to watch your children do things that would be different. Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That yes. you think of. But... Oh, yeah, they, all, they have their own perspectives. Yeah. And uh, will bring new stuff here, yeah. which is great. But yeah. but does mean I'm... I don't know when I'm going to retire. You don't know. Because <laughs> you know, so far, you know, Anna's just brought more things instead of, uh, instead of less She's not things. actually lightening your workload. Not lightening my workload. <laughs> You'd think your children coming back would mean maybe you'd have more time off. It hasn't happened yet. But... Do, you th- do you see, like, retirement as a thing that will happen? Soon? No, just, I'll just, we'll just do less. I You'll think. do less? I'll just do less. So lockdown has been quite fun, in a way, because I've definitely done less. Yeah. And uh, and that's been quite nice, yeah. yeah. So now it's all suddenly geared back up again. And, yeah. Um, we're busy, busy. But that must be It's what we do. Yeah. But you'd like at some point. To... I think to be a little less busy would be nice. Yeah. 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 More time for going on walks. Yeah. Keep walking some roads. No yes, way. exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's one of. The, I mean the reason I've been able to do that over the last few weeks, or just felt time and had room for it, is because we've been mm. locked down to some extent. Yeah. I think that's. I think we'll leave it there. Okay. Thank Unless you. there's something else. No, no, no. I can't. No, that's. Fine. That's so interesting. Mm. I'm so interested by people. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I don't know, I just never thought about it. Well, of course you don't, because you don't think about other people's perspective. That's why it's interesting no. to talk to people exactly, yeah. about it. Mm. But to think of yourself of like, oh, I'm a custodian and this is some stuff here that we're passing mm. on. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um, well, obviously we're hugely privileged being able to be in a position to do that. Mm. That's okay. But that's just... You know, a chance of birth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, these things are all just, they're all random in the end. Yes. And what, and it's just interesting, like, also to, like, see it and, like, what you do with it. Hmm. Yeah. And to think of yourself as to be part of something that's bigger. That's quite interesting. On a chance of birth. Yes, yes. To then happen to be part of something Mm. that's bigger than. Anyway, good. Thank you so much. You've got to get working too. I have to go to work. (laughs) My job, cream jeans. Thank you.